locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona Mixtape just around the corner, did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and then my song's gon' break through like a running back Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. Joining me, as always, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, my neighbor, my colleague, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. Mark, you look relatively at peace. You look a little bit calmer than I've seen you over the past five or six months, and I know your year has been hectic. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> See, I'm just going to go doing, this is what they call foreshadowing. I'm just going to do to you what you usually do to me about like three quarters of the way through the show. So kind of the pause, kind of leave you ha- like hanging. And then like the the one, like the monosyllabic, like one word well, answer. Full disclosure, when I do that, it's because I'm actually working on work <laughs> emails in the background as you're going on to one of your fair F1 enough, soliloquy. <laughs> Dude, I just came back. I was at the mall earlier today because I was meeting up with one of my buddies who's moving from from Vancouver to Calgary, as a lot of people do, because the cost of living here is outrageous. But he actually brought a cool F1 souvenir to show me. He nice. has a one half scale wind tunnel spec Pirelli tire and rim combo. Cool. Very, very, very cool. That I've, I've very never seen cool. it in person, but it was it was pretty neat. And talking and talking about F1 merch, a couple of other things I should mention real quick is it looks like it looks like Funko Pop will be releasing some Red Bull themed Funko Pops. Of course, we have the Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton one that dropped a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that have a modern gaming system, which excludes you and myself, F1 2023 by EA slash Codemasters comes out this week as well. So some cool stuff happening in the world of f1 merchandise are you are you did you just reveal to the world that we're both on like playstation 2 so (laughs) (laughs) i i have an xbox one and i keep thinking it's new but i read something earlier today about the fact that they've stopped developing games for it because it was a decade old i'm like yeah it did come out in 2013 (laughs) that's an old console well, yeah, I'm I'm not on the latest one, but I still have a PS4. So I mean, it's still okay, that's very, not bad. Yeah, it's 20, pretty rough. 2013 spec as well. So you and I are in the same generation <laughs> of console. Yeah, so I, I've been meaning to like I want to get a new one, but I actually haven't had a lot of time to game, which bugs me so much because I really enjoy gaming. But I haven't played played the new one. The last F1 game I actually got was 21, which I guess was that the first one, kind of like that crossover between Codemasters and EA Sports. I feel the, like 21 yeah, may I think have been it was. the first. Yeah, because it, it wasn't really one or the other. It was kind of like, but it had like that real EA vibe that you get around, like like their other sports properties, like you NHL. You mean a ton of loot boxes and microtransactions to milk every penny from your bank account? Because I feel like that's what <laughs> EA is good at. Yeah, among other things, right? I, I think there was, but like I, I tend not to do that. I Like in any of those other games, I just, I kind of just go through and play whatever, but I, I know all that stuff is in there but uh it's kind of fun because you know like you get the opportunity like i know that i think i had i bought several several of them in a row and i feel like the one that was before the last i guess 21 it had some like really cool like um um you know heritage 
Formula One cars in there. I think there was like a That's McLaren cool. MP46 cool. or a 44 or something like that. And just like the sounds of the engines, especially I seem to remember there was one challenge or something where you had to do like a lap of spa in, in an MP44 or something like that. And just the scream of that Honda turbo engine was pretty cool. It's like, especially if you just crank the old sound system and just get yeah. like the walls and everything shaking. It was, it was pretty cool. Friend of the show, BJ Crabtree predicted that we would actually be talking about the subject on the show, but he sent through a post, a tweet that has the driver ratings from F1 2023. So let me quickly take you through this because this may stir some controversy amongst our listeners, but okay, probably no surprise, Max Verstappen sits at the top with a 94. Who would you guess is sitting at number two? There's actually two people tied for number two. Two people tied for number two. Okay, well, um, I would have to say, like, normally I would say Lewis Hamilton. I think he'd have to okay, be number one. two. Okay, yeah. that's one. That's yeah. one. So I, I'm just trying to think, like, Lewis seems to be, like, the no-brainer, but I'm, th- I'm thinking, like, you're saying that there's going to be controversies. So, like, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, if maybe there's a Maybe less for- controversy and maybe more. Actually, I don't even know if it's surprise, but there's somebody that you wouldn't, going into this season, you never would have expected that this person would have been sitting at number two in the driver ratings. Never would have expected it. Esteban Ocon? Fernando Alonso. Really? So, well, Max Verstappen sitting. Wow. Yeah. yeah no. it, it, you know, I was going to say that it's it's interesting though because if the drive if this is supposed to be it's and the reason I think it's interesting I'm trying to articulate myself properly here is these driver ratings kind of benefit from the fact that the game doesn't drop until halfway through the season that the game is supposed to portray. Like (laughs) really the game should come out in January, but because it comes out midway through the year, the driver ratings kind of, kind of reflect the performance year to date, but Alonzo Hamilton on 92, Leclerc on 89, Norris on 89, Perez on 89, Sainz on 88, Hmm. Russell on 88, Bottas on 87, Ocon 86, Gasly 85, Stroll, an undeserved 84, Albon 83, Sonoda 83, Magnuson 81, Hulkenberg 80, Zhu 78, Piastri 74, Sargent 71, and DeVries on 71 as well. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Like, yeah, you should say that like like Alonso. Like, and, and, and that's why I figured like this was a trick question because like you say, this thing drops halfway through the season. I'm just like, okay, Fernando Alonso in 2023. Sure, absolutely de- deserves to be in that conversation. But it's just like you, you get this kind of like this weird Frankenstein of a game where you have like everything sort of kind of based on 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 everything in in progress but uh it's cool you do any idea what that uh that that's retailing for i would probably think about Who like knows, eight hundred dollars i don't know <laughs> what does a video game cost what does a banana cost these days ten dollars no, i so, don't know so something like that i was gonna say like about i was thinking like maybe about like 89 bucks for the game but yeah. i'm thinking somewhere around there more than you could afford, buddy. More than I can afford. I was just say, dude, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that I got like food on the table and a roof over my head and watching these rapidly sty- spiraling costs. Uh, oh, don't don't get me started. We could do, dude, we could do an entire podcast complaining about our financial situations. <laughs> like as mature mid 40 year olds, the fact that we still have to decide between groceries and sending our kids to the dentist is 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 shocking and embarrassing. My yeah. friend, but on something I was going to say, is, is that on. the perfect segue to remind everybody about our partnership with the Race Weekend Magazine and how we can perfect. save 10% perfect. at checkout by entering in our promo code Pod, But also... 
you've got something from them. So, you know, talk about I like got priorities. So box set. So I don't even know if I've told you about this, but I'm going to be sitting down with Mr. Magnus in the next couple of weeks to record a, a quick podcast, just getting the latest scoop on all things race weekend. But if you weren't listening over the last couple of months, uh, race weekend actually did a collaborative box set with Tiesto. In fact, the race weekend team actually designed the cover art on the latest Tiesto album. And the album is called drive and Tiesto is himself a huge, huge formula one and a huge racing fan, but I got the box set. So I'm very excited to add my fourth LP to my LP collection. It came with a beautiful t-shirt, um, which really helped reestablish my desire to create some of our own merch. It's absolutely beautiful, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, nice to have. And I, I think I may have posted some photos, but if I haven't, I'll make sure I repost them again. And on the topic of merch, don't forget that in November daily, and I will be hosting a Grand Prix Las Vegas watch party from my house. So if that's something you're interested in, you're cool making a $30 donation to the Canadian Mental Health Association, Daily's idea, one I fully support, um, then reach out and we'll let you know. And then finally, racing exclusives. Obviously, Tease in the crowd do a great job. Check them out if you're looking for some authentic race. What is the thing you always say? Certificate of Authenticity, COA? Is that yeah, the phrase COA, you use? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do a great job getting like one-of-a-kind authentic F1 merch and uh, I mean where else could we get like an authentic Max Verstappen half scale helmet to give away totally. I mean you know uh, Tease uh, you know like stepped up and uh, provided that for our fantasy league which do do I get to put you on the spot do you have fantasy ready Mark Mark <laughs> you should know better I definitely don't have it up so we'll, well that's okay. let's do this when we come back from our first break I'll have it ready yeah that's you know Subi that they're the although the Formula One fantasy site actually works which it usually doesn't whatever you want to pull up some something in a hurry but uh there you go but that's cool i'm glad that you got the box set i really had my uh, my eyes on that because obviously i'm a huge f1 fan i'm a huge chiesto fan so the fact that uh, there there was that box set out there is awesome but i'm just disappointed i didn't have enough disposable cash to get uh, one myself but uh anyways before we jump into the program let's uh, or the news let's just uh, go down quickly the uh the, uh, the standings in the championship uh, because we've got the canadian grand prix coming up first uh, practice session is 13 hours away as we sit down record this on a thursday night here a somewhat gloomy thursday night here on the west coast anyways in the 2023 formula one drivers world championship you have max verstappen on top with 170 points sergio perez second with 117 fernando alonso with 99 points lewis hamilton currently fourth with 87 and then his teammate george russell rounding out the top five in the drivers championship with 60 five points in the constructors championship we have red bull leading the way at 287 mercedes second with 152 aston martin third with 134 ferrari fourth with 100 points and then 60 points back then we have alpine currently on 40 points so there you go a lot more points up for grab this weekend and we will preview the grand prix later on uh, during the show but uh, perfect segue to fantasy i've got fantasy ready Okay, oh, I'm gonna just go. do it. Wow. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Number one, L1F1. Number two, Nathan's team. Number three, Olay's latest. Number four, Bengals Bubs. Number five, no dose. We've got three people tied at number six, Charles CL, Fire Ferris, Buenos Diaz, number nine, FC Racing, number 10, Cranger, number 10, also Jesse H12, CDP Racing, 13, my 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 oh oh oh, number 14. 
Brooklyn Bagel Race Club, number 15, Aston Gives You Wings, number 15, Dream Saturday. And I go as far as 17, our good friend, Yuki's Farts 2023, exclamation mark. So hopefully there'll be a a shakeup in this order come this weekend. I just wanted to know where Yuki's was because, um, you know, (laughs) just because, just because. Okay, let's go into the news. So Ferrari is doing something right. Not in Formula One, but they won Le Mans this past weekend. And there's a nice Formula One tie-in uh, with uh, with that win at uh, Le Mans with Antonio Giovinazzi behind the steering wheel as one of the drivers that uh, was the first time in 50 years that, uh, that Ferrari was there and they managed to... Uh, bring home the w and lamont i mean what a great track you know like the the one thing i love about racing sims is the opportunity to drive around these tracks that you never get the wheel and i use drive with like inverted uh, commas here in the studio but uh, it's good because it gives you like an appreciation of uh, you know what what a track is like as best as you can in a in a virtual setting but uh, what a great track and what a what what a classic race that is but very very uh, cool to see now also another interesting one here so um jeremy clarkson delivered on uh you know he put his money where his, his mouth is and uh <laughs> he honored esteban's ocon's uh bet by uh you know delivery beers to the lp's factory and he basically uh, said uh, on twitter at uh, during monaco he said uh, quote come on uh alpine f1 team i'll buy you all a pint if you get a podium here and that's exactly what happened so uh clarkson showed up at alpine's uh factory earlier this week and uh <laughs> I love that story. And, it's and great, I'm going to comment it? on this because this is one of those kind of throwaway stories that we have just to pad the show and add a little bit of humor. But they're all I, throwaway stories, Hammy. Oh, really? <laughs> the Honda Aston Martin tie up is a throwaway story. Well, I guess everything that comes out of our mouths is. <laughs> it is. But yeah. I, I threw this poll up on the, the Twitter feed the other day and said, What do you think of Jeremy Clarkson? Do you love him? He's fine. Don't like him. Amazon should cancel him. 47% of the 170 people that voted, and again, most of the people listening are a petrol head in some sense, but 47% right, right. said they like him, 40% said he's fine. 8% said don't like him and 5.4% said Amazon should cancel him. And let's let's be fully transparent here. He has said and done some reprehensible things. Not Trump level reprehensible, but he's definitely done some some fairly inappropriate things and said some really bad stuff. Um for some reason I keep gravitating towards him. Um and I, I really struggle sometimes between like, hey, this is who he is and this is maybe what he stands for. But also he's hilarious and he's a really great TV presenter. But I mm-hmm. thought that this was beautiful. And the fact that and there's some really great photos too. He rolled into the Endstone factory with Caleb. If you've seen Clarkson's Farm on Amazon, which is a brilliant show, yep. he rolls in with C- Caleb. Caleb's there. They're handing out some of the beer that's crafted on his farm. So perfect promotional tie-in for Clarkson. But I, I thought it was pretty cool nonetheless. Regardless of what you thought or think of Jeremy Clarkson, it's uh, it was pretty cool little promotional stunt if if nothing else yeah you know there's there's a great uh you know picture here on the uh the the, the article that you found with uh clarkson handing out bottles of beer caleb's behind him and then esteban's uh, standing there holding a bottle of beer as uh, as well you know just just looking at esteban and his physique i'm pretty sure he doesn't drink beer 
ever, if at all. I mean, I don't he's think pretty, so. He's pretty so. lean. He's pretty lean. Let's uh, let let's put it that way. Okay, moving along to the next story. What do we have here in the good old uh, Rolodex? Oh yeah. Okay, so, I'm I, I'm going to put you on blast. Is, I want to put you. Can I can I put you on blast? Sure. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Okay. So I'm 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 charged up tonight for some reason. So. Daniel Ricardo and Will Arnett are to host an alternate F1 telecast on ESPN for three races this year. I can't remember okay. which three races they are. I'm sure you'll mention in a couple of seconds. I think Canada's one of them. So basically, there'll be an alternative feed on ESPN. So if you want to hear the race with the commentary coming from Will Arnett and Daniel Ricardo, you certainly can. As our listeners know, we were definitely shills for Will Arnett's now defunct F1 podcast because they wanted to advertise and we have some advertising capacity. Now that podcast didn't last long and the general feedback about it was it wasn't great. But now he's going to partner up with one of the most charismatic personalities in all of F1 to do a race commentary. So my question to you, my friend, is if this was available for you to watch, would you tune in or not? Not, I, I, I'm just not like a big consumer of other people's material. That's not to say it's not good. It's just, I don't know. It, it just doesn't interest me. But, you know, there's a funny story about like that whole like how we ended up, uh, you know, you know, promoting that now defunct uh, podcast. It was like they asked, did we want to, um, do we like you know, our advertising partners asked us or asked me because I'm the contact point if we wanted to do that. And I was away on holiday and I said, okay, well, let me talk to Mark and I'll get back to you. But I'm we're leaning towards no, but I just want to, you know, I want to talk with my partner. And then so we talked about we said no. And I communicated that back to them and said, no, we're good. And somewhere along the line, they like misunderstood <laughs> no for yes. And the next thing I know is just like, hey, how come you guys are like advertising? I'm just like, so like I reached out to them. I'm just like, since when did known mean? Yes, is it like opposite day today? Because yeah. my kids do that all the time. Like when, especially like yeah. my little guy, when I tell him it's like bedtime, he's like, "Oh no, it's not bedtime because today's opposite day. I get to stay up." I'm like, "Bro, it's like a Tuesday night. It's ten thirty. Yeah. You need you to go to bed in the morning." Yeah. yeah. Well, not him because he's only in grade two, but he's like, "No, it's opposite oh, day. Yeah. I get to stay up." And I'm just like, "Dude, it's ten thirty. You're eight. You need to go to sleep." But, anyways, yeah. it was the same sort of thing like that. But I, that was awkward. I, that was awkward. Anyways, I go don't. On. I don't dislike Will Arnett and he's Canadian and I loved yep, him yep. in Arrested Development and some of the other stuff he's done. Um, obviously, I like Daniel Ricardo and I, I would, I'd be interested to know if Daniel Ricardo would lean into the humor side of his personality or if he'd more be like a James Hinchcliffe and kind of speak to the more technical side of the sport and provide a ton of insight and, and valuable um, kind of information. Will Arnett, like I just, I'm not interested in a celebrity who knows less about the sport telling me about the sport for the sake of being a celebrity. Like that's just not something that I'm interested in. Like Danica, Danica Patrick, I'll listen because she's a racer and James Hinchcliffe, I'll listen because he's a racer. I may not love it, uh, but I'll give them a shot. I just, I feel like this is a weird mismatch. I mean, it's not really a mismatch because in a sense, they're both comedians in, in certain ways, but yeah, I certainly won't be tuning in. I feel like we've already given this story too much air. Yeah, you know, like basically, I, I just feel like my cup has overflowed with like F one content over the past yeah. couple of years, and 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 that's what it is. I mean, no no disrespect to anyone else, I just feel like I've had like so much F one content thrown at me over the past 
say 18, 24 months is just kind of like, I, I just can't absorb anything else at the, at the, at the moment. But anyways, uh, just to sort of give that, uh, you know, finish off that thought. I hope that like Ricardo gets to be Ricardo because to see him sitting there in a suit and being serious, just, you yeah. know, just, just wouldn't I work. agree. I totally yeah, agree. Yeah. Now this next story I think is uh, really cool. I'll let you run with it, but well, yeah. hey, why don't we, why don't we just actually take a quick break? We'll come back. We'll give this the, like the proper air that it needs because I feel like a bit of a spinoff um, uh, discussion is going to, uh, you know, come from this. Let's take a quick break, come back on the flip side. We'll pick up on this story involving Toyota and a whole bunch more. And we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Welcome back to the show. And Mark, yes, so this is an interesting one. So this comes from AsiaNikkei.com. And this is a business story. So Toyota is planning to roll out solid state battery EVs starting as soon as 2027. So just three and a half years from now. So this is a very, very cool tech. You've got like your, your tease, legend. by the way, I was just going to say know. your tease going into the break <laughs> was evil because everyone listening is like, what? Toyota coming back to F1. No, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In fact, I probably set this up. I set people up for disappointment here, but it is a very, very, Timo very, Glock very cool is story. very mad at me right now. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> so the story to stay on track here, the story of that Toyota, which obviously back in the 90s and the early 2000s, they were kind of leading from the front when it came to introducing mass market hybrid vehicles. And I think at some point along the way, they made some interesting strategic decisions about how rapidly they were going to electrify their car fleet. And they're now currently in a position where they're rapidly electrifying, but they've made very significant investments in this concept of a solid state battery. And the benefit of a solid state battery is one, they charge significantly quicker than a traditional lithium battery. And furthermore, they're far more dense, so you can get much more mileage. So quoting this article that you just referenced a couple of minutes ago, with a charging time of 10 minutes or less, solid state EV batteries can power a travel range of approximately 1,200 kilometers or 2.4 wow. times wow. that of conventional lithium batteries, which I think is is phenomenal. Um, the big challenge I think historically has been with solid state batteries is ensuring that the longevity of the battery matches that of a lithium. So a lithium battery can be recharged thousands of times. And the concern mm -hmm. with solid state batteries to this point is they could be recharged hundreds of times before they become 
basically a, a waste of a waste of mass. So I think what Toyota's saying here is, hey, we've cracked the recipe. We've now got solid state batteries that have the same longevity, the same robustness of a lithium battery, plus the benefits of super rapid charging and that massive amount of mileage. Like imagine my friend, like if you could buy an EV three years from now that charges to full capacity or to say 80% the capacity in 10 or 12 minutes and can run a thousand kilometers, like mm-hmm. that is a Deal as a game changer for an industry that's oh, already totally. rapidly propelling. So, anyways, I thought yeah. it was a cool story and thought it would be worth sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And and well, you know, <laughs> cost is one thing of like investing and buying a, a, an EV is one thing, but another big hangup is just the fact that you know they, they to this point they haven't had the range. They take a while to charge, but and you know for someone like myself, I travel quite a bit, like uh, around the province for work and for for pleasure and things like that. And I still find that you know for for what I do, that you know going by road is usually the quickest, uh, most affordable way to go. But, you know, it, you know, having an EV and driving from Vancouver up to the interior isn't always like an option, you know, because like you're kind of pushing that range. But I mean, 10 minutes with a range of like 1,200 kilometers, that is absolutely amazing. I wish I could charge my phone in 10 minutes, that, but that's very, very cool if uh, Toyota's actually unlocked that uh, once and for all. Okay, so this is another interesting story. So uh, this comes from uh, Jonathan Noble at uh, motorsport.com. It says F1 chiefs to make push for lighter Grand Prix cars. So this is uh, very uh, interesting. So uh, currently the the cars weigh in at 798 uh, kilograms. So this is actually 200 kilograms heavier than they were back in uh, 2008. So the conversion from kilograms to pounds is 2.2. So do the math. So we're looking at what, about 440 pounds or whatever it is to increase uh prior to so of course back in 2008 said there were no batteries in the car and things like that so um you know a big reason that these cars are bigger and heavier now is the introduction of batteries the energy recovery systems and the safety systems that are in the cars i mean all very very important uh, developments uh, especially the um you know safety uh you know requirements which are always a thing so when they switched to the turbine hybrid uh, engines in 2014 that upped the uh, minimum weight to 691 uh, kilograms but with the addition of the, the the halo and more safety structures you know bump that again by another 50 kilograms to 740 by 2019 and with the uh, the new ground effects that were introduced to the cars last year and the bigger wheels different aero and all that other stuff has bumped that uh, by roughly another 60 kilograms which is that uh, brings us up to just under you know 800 uh, kilograms so roughly about uh, you know 17 1800 pounds for the car which for a car is still extremely light but uh, interesting so what what uh, they're proposing is that for when the new rule cycle comes out for for 2026 when the new power unit uh, regs come into play both the FIA and the commercial rights holder they see this as an opportunity to 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 do things and introduce new things so FIA president's uh, president not presidents there's only one Mohammed Ben Salam said to motorsport.com, quote, one thing I would like to see is very clear. We need a lighter car. I believe this is better. I come from motorsport where lighter cars are safer and they won't use the same amount of fuel. It will be hard to achieve, but everybody wants it. So I'm pushing because I come from rallying where there 
there is nothing worse than having a heavy car, end quote. So F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali uh, said that the issue of the car uh, weight needed putting uh, on the agenda because they're obviously going to be having discussions for the 2026 rules coming up uh, very, very soon. And uh, Domenicali had to say, quote, as one of the points that has always been a debate has been the weight. As you know, with the hybrid engines, with the batteries, the weight is getting higher. And that is something not really in the nature of Formula One. So it's a topic for discussion for the future, end quote. So, Mark, you look like uh, you're ready to jump in here. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. I think you did a pretty good job of summarizing the story, right? Like if we flash back to 2007, 2008, it wasn't just... I think the conversation here extends beyond simply the mass of the vehicle, but it also extends into the the dimensions of the vehicle, particularly the length. Because I think the width of the cars has been pretty consistent for the past couple of decades. But I was I was having a conversation with my good buddy Randy this week, and he'd mentioned that hey, up here in Canada on TSN, they'd re-aired the 2007 Canadian Grand Prix and they re-aired the 2011 Grand Prix. Of course, that's when Jensen Button won from P21, which is just remarkable. And he made this really great point, which is you know what, watching those races, it was almost indistinguishable from today. Well, I think that's the wrong word. It was totally different than watching a modern Grand Prix because the smaller, more compact cars were so much racy. It's like the tracks were bigger, but they weren't. It's just because the cars were so much smaller. And I think this conversation extends beyond simply the mass of the car, uh, which of course hampers performance and turn in and braking. And of course, if you have a big, heavy car, you need bigger brakes and you need more robust safety features and all those different kinds of things. But I think if you're going to have a conversation about the weight of the car, I think we need to find a way to to shrink down the the length of the cars and, and not insignificant way. And maybe the two are ultimately tied that maybe one of the reasons the cars have gotten so much bigger is because they need to be able to accommodate, like you said, effectively two drivetrains, right? In 2008, we were running these naturally aspirated V8s and I guess 10, 11, we'd introduced some curve systems, but they were pretty compact compared to what we have today. Uh, But ultimately it was just a naturally aspirated V8 and a chassis. And now we've got a V6, although it's not that much more compact than the V8s, but you're right. We have this entire electric system and we have the battery and we have the MGUH and we have the MGUK and we have the turbo and the wastegate and all these different components. Like it's a pretty big package. Uh, again, that's what the sport signed up for though. And they're going to reinforce that in 2026 because we're going to have a similar formula in 2026. But one, I'm definitely in favor of lighter cars, but I also want to see smaller cars. I just, I don't know what the runway is to get there because I'm not, I'm not totally um, I'm not totally, I'm not, I'm not as, I'm trying to articulate myself here. I'm not as familiar with the linkages between mass and dimensions as I probably should be. And there's some very obvious reasons why the cars are the width they are and particularly the reason they are as long as they are. But I would love to see these cars be lighter without compromising safety because you make a great point too that some of this weight is from things like the driver cell, the cell structure, Mm -hmm. the halo, things that didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago and something that none of us would sign up to get rid of. But I would love to see a lighter car and I would love to see a shorter car as well. That's something I would love because then all of a sudden, you know, Monaco, which is a terrible race, maybe it gets to be a little bit better. And some of these tracks that F1 has outgrown all of a sudden without massive capital investments to upgrade and reflow these tracks, maybe all of a sudden these tracks that aren't great become really good. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's a it's a very, very involved discussion. But I guess it was about 18 months ago now, I went back and watched the, the 2009 World Championship. That was, you know, that dream season where Braun came out of nowhere and surprised everyone. And Jensen had this, uh, you know, fantastic championship uh, winning season. And it was funny because I sat down and I, I turned it on fired up the Australian Grand Prix as round one of that season. <laughs> and it was like the cars, I was just like, that That was the first thing that struck me. It was like, holy, these cars are so small. They're like buzzing around the track like little bees. I mean, the contrast between what we see now and what we've seen over the past, I mean, especially the last uh, couple of years, was just like night and day compared to just over a decade ago. It was really, really an, an astonishing, you know, comparison between the two because when you kind of follow it year upon year, it's kind of like a really kind of it's a slow evolution. You get used to it, you know. You you go you finish one season, the new cars come along, and it just kind of like over time, you know, one season kind of blurs into another in in your memory. But to go back just as recently as two thousand and nine and see those cars was it, it was something you know really worthwhile doing. I encourage those of you that uh, have access to the archives on F1 TV Pro or even just go and search it up on YouTube and things like that. See if you can get some, uh, watch some highlights uh, from some of these seasons gone by. It's really worthwhile and, uh, you know, get a good uh, comparison to the uh, current uh, formula that we do have. Okay, so uh, moving from Red Bull, or sorry, from Toyota to engine formulas, new regs, now moving over to Red Bull. And this is another story from uh, Jonathan Noble at motorsport.com. And uh, so he's uh, discuss, discussing why Red Bull is 100% convinced that uh, their F1 powertrain division is worth the massive and huge expenditure and investment that they are pumping into it. So, Mark, this is uh, what one of your passions. Why don't you take this one away? I think this is a really great story. So, shout out to <coughs> shout out to Jonathan Noble from Motorsport.com. I thought this was a really great article, and really, what it speaks to is the fact that back in 2020, Red Bull had this dilemma, and the dilemma was that. Honda was exiting the sport, which you and I have talked about at length, and they were going to exit the sport after 21. And the dilemma they faced was this. We could either do this unprecedented thing as a non-automotive manufacturer and start build at least at least unprecedented in the modern realm of F1. And that thing was we can start building our own engines to which there's no precedence in modern F1 because typically that's the realm of an automotive manufacturer have the resources and the expertise to do these things. Or they can become a customer team. And they were a customer team with Honda, but in a sense, they were a works team because they were being provided with power units exclusively and they were working very closely together. Uh, I think we all remember the end of the Renault relationship with with Red Bull, and it wasn't a particularly positive one, even though they ran off four championships together from 10 to 13, it disintegrated very quickly. And it wasn't great even when they were together. And ultimately, Red Bull recognized that they had an opportunity, and the opportunity was to become a manufacturer themselves. And that was the path they took. And it honestly couldn't have played out better. One, because they ultimately were able to sign up Ford, who's going to take on some of the responsibility for the electrical components of the system. But Ford is themselves pumping 
bringing in a ton of money without any expectations in terms of uh, being able to provide feedback and input into the development of the car outside of the power unit and the drivers and things like that. So they basically sign up Ford and they get a ton of money from Ford to be a part of this project, quote unquote. But one of the other things that enables them to do is all of a sudden, as a manufacturer, and this ties into a story that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes here, if you're manufacturing power units, you get to sell your power units to other teams, which means that you suddenly have a significant amount of influence over the decision-making within the sport. And you and I have talked about this before, where oftentimes when teams are voting on decisions that inform the future of the sport, they'll often vote in blocks. The Mercedes teams will vote in blocks. The Ferrari teams will vote in blocks. The Renault teams, if there were more than one Renault team, they would vote in a block. And now all of a sudden you have a team in, in Red Bull, Ford Red Bull powertrains that are developing their power units internally. Red Bull is now a full-on works team, but they have the ability to influence the future of the sport by being able to build voting blocks by selling their power units to other teams. And one of the big stories is the possible links to a certain uh, certain Woking-based team, which we'll come to in a couple of minutes. But really, this couldn't have played out better for Red Bull, that ultimately they made a really astute decision at a really, really timely position. And the way I kind of think about this is like, hey, you know what? They bought real estate at the right time. A lot of their friends were saying, look, you know what? It's a big expense. You got to put down that big deposit. You're going to wipe out all of your savings. Just rent. It's safe. Rent, rent, rent. And they said, you know what? We're going to blow our budget. We're going to put all of our savings. We're going to tap into the bank of mom and dad, but we're going to buy a house. And now here they are. They bought this house. They've got a ton of equity. The price has gone through the roof and their friends are still still renting. Like I think they did the right thing here, that this was a really smart, very astute thing. And I think in 2026, I have every reason to think that they're going to blaze out of the gate because as much as you and I grown on, well, not grown on, as much as you and I glow up about the fact that Honda and Aston Martin are going to be together, Honda isn't working on a 2026 power unit. Red Bull's been actively working on that power unit for two years. They're bench testing the thing for crying out loud. Like I think they're going to be in an incredible place in 26. And I think anyone that buys a power unit from them in 2026 is going to be in a really great place as well. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I, I still can't get my head around the fact that the Red Bull is going to be an out-and-out uh, true works team. Totally, and I mean, and that, totally. You know, it... And I mean, they've been around for a long time and, you know, take away the last couple of years and su uh, the success that they've had with Max. I mean, you made that really great point that they they rattled off four consecutive championships from 2010 to 2013. And then we went into the, the you know, the, the turbo hybrid era. Those Renault engines just weren't uh, up to up to scratch. They just weren't up to par, especially with the, uh, the, the, the Mercedes. But you know what I thought was so interesting? Let's say like going back to even 2014, that very first season and when we were in this you know turbo hybrid era and i remembered that the, even then like the first year it was obvious that they were going to be able to defend that championship because you know all good things have to come to an end that that even then just in the still in the the glow of four consecutive championships even then christian horner was critical i mean he wasn't scathing i mean that kind of dialed up uh, over the next uh, several years but i mean he he'd made some pretty blunt comments uh you know even back then that uh, that that Renault just wasn't up to scratch and it took them a while to find that partner in Honda that really worked for for them but you know even so when when they decided to 
you know, set this thing up and what, what it looked like, okay, well, they're just going to get the IP or they're not going to be able to get the IP from Honda, you know, whatever they're going to do for 26, they're going to have to do on their own. I was, I wouldn't say I was skeptical. I would say more that I was sitting here watching the Sintra, the, you know, the situation with interest and like, Hmm, you know, did they do the right thing? Did they not? But, you know, the fact, like you say, Mark, that they're bench testing an engine right now, two years into this program, when they still have, you know, a couple of several years to go before they, you know, this has to go into the back of the car is just incredible. And who knows? But uh, I, I think you've, uh, you know, highlighted and, uh, you know, really brought to, to, to light a very, very important point that, you know, maybe, like you say, they just did buy real estate at the right time. And, uh, it's, it's like I say, it's, it's strange to get my head around that at some point we're going to see a Red Bull car powered by a Red Bull engine, but who knows was that always the long game that they were, they were thinking of when they entered yeah. Formula One. Yeah. yeah, It, it yeah. kind of makes you wonder that maybe it was kind of discussions. Oh, wouldn't it be nice one day if, and it was always kind of like an I if don't thing. Think, and I don't think it was even in their wildest dreams, but I maybe I give, not. I give a lot of recognition to to Christian Horner and some of the leadership for identifying that this was an opportunity. Obviously, let's be realistic. Like Williams could have done this, but they could never have brought together the capital necessary because this cost this project cost cost Red Bull hundreds of millions of dollars. And McLaren could have done this, but they certainly didn't have the resources to do it. So Red Bull was obviously well-equipped financially to pursue pursue this project, but it's still hugely risky. And again, as excited Mm -hmm. as I am about it, they could come out flat in 2026. They could struggle in 26, 27, 28. And then all of a sudden we're looking back like this was a six-year project that cost how many hundreds of millions of dollars and it's not delivering fruit. I'm just just confident it will be because one, they began it so early. And two, because they began it so early, they had a very strong voice at the table as the regulations for the 2026 power unit were being were being developed. And I think that was one of the things that gave Mercedes such a head start back in 2014. And I think it's one of the things that's going to be a disadvantage to Honda, uh, at least initially. And you know, we saw Honda wasn't at the table for the turbo hybrid conversation. It took them years to catch up. Renault was slow, took them forever to catch up. Mercedes was pushing those regulations and guiding those regulations in a semi-nefarious way, depending on the perspective that you have. But I think they're really equipped to to continue this reign of dominance into the 2026 period. And all of that to say, it ties perfectly into the next story. I'm going to jump ahead, but there's a story here from Connor McDonough from Crash.net. And the story is entitled McLaren deny link between a new signing and a potential Red Bull F1 deal. And I'm going to read here, McLaren team principal Andrea Stella has confirmed there is no link between their recent signing of Rob Marshall and a potential Red Bull Ford engine deal for 2026. McLaren announced the signing that senior engineer Rob Marshall will join the team at the start of 2024, bolstering their technical department. It was seen as a huge coup for McLaren, who are eyeing 2025 as the season they return to glory, as that's when their new wind tunnel facilities come online. Given that there was no animosity surrounding Marshall's departure, there were some suggestions that this was due to an agreement between McLaren and Red Bull 
over an engine deal for 2026. McLaren, and I'm going to conclude here quickly, McLaren are currently powered by Mercedes with Stellar revealing they are in advanced negotiations with them. And he says, I can confirm there is no links to Stellar. We had conversations with Red Bull a few months ago as part of the due diligence and exploring what's available in the market in terms of power unit for 2026. But at the moment, we are quite advanced in our negotiations with HPP. So there's, and that's of course the Mercedes power unit division. So there's no conversation ongoing with Red Bull. But it's interesting because typically if you acquire a talent like Rob Marshall, typically there's an extended gardening leave, a concept that you and I have talked about so much. Yes. But that that deal came together quickly and Red Bull is allowing him to begin participating in the McLaren project very quickly. Well, and that that's the interesting thing, right? Because uh, you so rightly bring up the whole concept of uh, garden leave that not only is this unusual, this is completely unheard of for somebody at this level to basically you know, walk away from his one job, basically give his notice and start at the new boss there uh, on Monday. It, it never happens. I mean, it's not like they have to sit on the sideline for like, like a month or two months. And sometimes it is like a year, 18 months or something like that. I mean, how long was it, was, was it before James Key was able to, to start his position he was like like a year plus dude I think, when i joined this started. podcast i was on gardening leave for 30 days i think i had to wait on the <laughs> sidelines for a month so something like that but you know key when he left uh, he was at toro rosso right and mm -hmm. uh, i think that he was I, I think he sat out like well over a year before he could have started at uh, mclaren so the fact that rob marshall is literally you know, walking out the, the the door of red bull on friday and then showing up mclaren on a monday morning is highly 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 unusual but you know d despite the fact that uh, andrea stella has said that there, there's no link doesn't mean that it won't happen because you know, quite often in in Formula One, you you know you, you you expect something's going to happen, and then the complete opposite happens. So I I wouldn't you know unless there's an official announcement from McLaren and Mercedes saying yes, we're going to extend the agreement that we have between the two of us. I would say that uh, you know all cards are still on the table that uh, they could end up with the Red Bull uh, power units in the back of that car in 2026. So I would just uh, keep following along. Anyways, I'm going to jump in now. We'll take another break. We'll come back in uh, a couple of moments here, and we'll pick it up uh, then uh, going over some of the latest F1 news. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, next article comes from uh, Nadim uh, Bart Williams over at uh, FormulaOne.com. And this is um, a story about Susie Wolf on the Global Initiative F1 Academy, Discover Your Drive. So we've been uh, talking and following along this, uh, this, uh, you know, this story for a good uh, number of months since the start of the year. And so Susie Wolf has uh, invited uh, motorsport fans from across the globe. Across the globe, you can tell it's getting late on a Thursday night when my tongue gets all tied like that. To enjoy their uh, you know their journey as uh, the F1 Academy Discover Your Drive launches uh, this week. So this is an initiative that uh, aims to increase female uh, talent in motorsport, both on the track and on the track. And Susie Wolf, who is the managing director of the F1 Academy, is uh, leading. She's spearheading this uh, the, this new initiative to inspire the next generation of uh, female drivers. So Mark, I'll hand it over to you. 
Yeah, I think this is a, a smart move. And you and I've talked about this before about the fact that we're all eagerly awaiting the next woman to race in Formula One. But as Susie Wolf has commented on a couple of times in the past, it's it's really hard to get a woman into F1 when the talent pool is so small. And the talent pool is so small because not enough young girls are entering the world of racing and karting. And I think this is one of the biggest initiatives that she's chasing, which is look, we we have some talented female drivers, and we're going to do everything we can to showcase and expose and nurture them. But more importantly, even than that, we need to start absolutely nurturing the youngest of the young. Like We need to start making motorsports attractive to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10-year-old girls because we need to start growing that talent pool. So five, 10 years from now, we're not looking at say 50,000 girls carding globally. Maybe we're talking about 250,000 young girls carding globally. And all of a sudden that talent pool is five times larger. So the likelihood of a woman graduating into the highest ranks of open real racing has multiplied by a factor of four or five. And I think that's what she's trying to do. Well, this is really good news story. Um, breaking news that came out actually right before this podcast. And I apologize, I didn't get a chance to get it onto the outline. But the W Series has officially entered into administration. Now, last year, their their season basically was cut short because of a lack of funding. And you and I were both very, very critical of the FIA for not stepping up and funding the balance mm-hmm. of that schedule. We were also incredibly critical, and I'm not sure how much the FIA was involved in that racing series. But you and I were also very critical of the commercial rights group leading formula one for not stepping up and funding the balance of the schedule so that's very disappointing so knowing that last season didn't end on the tenor that i think we'd all wished it had um it's not a surprise now that the series in is in administration they're obviously looking for somebody to bring them out of administration and continue the series but i think that that's probably unlikely because if that was going to happen it probably would have happened in the off season. So bad news. So good news that total that Susie Wolf is continuing to grow uh, F1 Academy with some really great initiatives, but bad news that the W series uh, may be behind us now. Yeah, I yeah, totally agree. And you know, the, the, I love that uh, she has this initiative, but you know, there's still, you know, like apart from, you know, getting the interest, getting the participation, there still has to be that that channel to be clearly work your way towards Formula One as being like the the end game, right? I mean, it, it, it's one thing to stimulate the 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 interest, but you know, if there's nowhere for these young drivers to go, then ultimately it becomes, you know, is is it a worthwhile thing? I mean, both you and I know that it is, and um, you know, hopefully that uh, you know, and 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 Susie, I think, has got the you know, is the right person at the right time. Hopefully she gets the support that she needs to, you know, do all the things that they want to do. So, you know, fingers crossed uh, that they'll do uh, just that. Okay. Uh, sticking with the Wolf family and moving from the, the F1 Academy, moving over to Formula One and Susie's partner, Total. And uh, so their suspension, Mercedes suspension upgrades are what they're calling a rich seam of a development. And this is uh, according to Andrew uh, Shovlin uh, from the Mercedes uh, team. So anyways, um, you know, 
Lewis and George have been uh, complaining about, uh, you know, a lot of uh, or lack of confidence in the rear axle, the W14. And so this is part of it is that because the cockpit of the uh, the, the car has been placed further forward in uh, in the car as it has been in previous years. Um, but, you know, there, there's only so much you can do during the year right i mean they can address this by you know in, in, you know incorporating that into the design for next year but um you know one of the more you know the quicker faster ways that they can uh, fix the the nervous handling the car has was to uh, introduce a major upgrades uh, package that had uh, well number one more conventional side pods and updated uh, front suspension for the monaco this past month so you know they're doing a lot more things uh, and uh, uh, mercedes engineering uh, director andrew shovelin said quote it is a case of trying to play with those geometries to get an influence on the aero platform to try and get a b- bit more stability in the car it has probably given us some more freedom because the issue that we always had prior to that was getting good front end when you needed at the apex and good entry stability when you're working hard on the brakes and turning in uh, that compromise was always something we couldn't resolve so you're left with uh, either rear we uh, sorry either a re- weak rear on entry or a poor front at apex so hopefully that's moved us in the right direction end quote so there you go uh i mean you know, we've seen some good things from Mercedes the last couple of races. You know, Belgium, sorry, not Belgium, Spain obviously was a very good uh, race for them. Mark, despite some of the things that uh, we've heard, do we think it's still a little bit too soon to really say that Mercedes is back and they've solved all the issues? Yeah, we, we have you a know, sample pers- size of like one and a half, right? Like they, 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 <laughs> Pretty they, much, they, right? they introduced the upgrades, the suspension, the floor, the side pods for Monaco. And of course, that was never going to be a, a good representation about what that package could do. And, and Spain is, as a sample, just too small and it was probably a track that was ideally suited for the type of upgrades they brought i think this story that you're commenting on and i think there's some really juicy nuggets in there uh is that in the suspension which is an incredibly expensive part of the car to develop um and i think that quote is they found a rich seam of development it's kind of like you're mining for gold and you find that seam of of gold or that valuable that rare rare metal um and i think that's what they found here is like aha we've tapped into something that maybe we can find Find more performance by continuing to work away on the suspension. The thing that you commented on at the top of this article, I thought was pretty interesting, which is that in the current iteration of this car, uh, the cockpit is seated pretty far forward, especially relative to the rest of the field. And uh, this has some implications and consequences for the type of development that they can introduce. But one of the challenges is that in F1, especially in the cost cap era, once your chassis gets homologated, like you're not introducing a new chassis mid-season that you're kind of stuck with it. So everything else around it, like your aerodynamic surfaces, your floor, your suspension, uh, your power, well, actually not your power unit, because that's frozen, but some of the complementary cooling packages and things like that, that that you can all tweak and 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 kind of uh, modify, but if you have a bad chassis, there's there's not a lot you can do to overcome that. So I, I think I think that Mercedes is doing a lot with what they have, but I think the fundamental flaw in the W14 is probably in the chassis, and they can extract more from it, and they'll do everything in their power within the cost cap to do so because they want to finish P2 in the constructors because that delivers some good prize money, and it will reinforce in George. In George Russell and in Lewis Hamilton, that this is the right place to be, uh, but I just I don't think there is a a championship caliber 
car in that chassis. Uh, but I think there's still a lot more they can extract from it. But to answer your question, I don't know how much because we've had a one race sample. And like we talked about coming out of Spain, we need to see this car in a variety of different tracks before we can have that conversation. So Spain was a very specific type of track. And now you're going to Montreal, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, which again, it's a very different type of track. You know what? Spain is generally a high speed track with a higher average speed and, and Montreal is a very different type of track with a lot of braking zones and tight corners and a much lower average speed. So, uh, so to answer your question, it's too early to know. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting though, because if you listen to some of like, you know, the, the language, you know, and the, the attitude just, uh, you know, from Mercedes is in the past week or two, like there seems to be so much more positivity, like that when they were so negative the last little while that, that seems like, I, I wouldn't say it's completely disappeared. Like, like there still seems to be an asterisk beside all the comments that uh, they have. But I mean, just in general, I mean, th- there seems to be a lot more positivity around the team. But like you say, I mean, th- this car is not really a championship uh, caliber car. We've we've seen that over the past a year and a half. And you know, what is the ceiling for development? Who knows? But uh, you know, if they they can put them some uh, you know space between themselves and Ferrari, you know that uh, gives them uh, you know something to aim for in the constructors. I mean, what their benchmark realistically should be is 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 catching up to the to the Aston Martins. And of course, Fernando was saying this time last week that he feels that the upgrades that they're going to be uh, bringing to Montreal this weekend is going to set them apart from everyone else again. So. Is, is there any truth to that? We'll find out in a couple of days. Has Mercedes closed the gap to the Aston Martins only to have Aston Martin open it up uh, as they introduce their own upgrades? We'll wait and see. But uh, that's one of the fun things to uh, you know watch when you're following Formula One. Okay, next story sticking uh, with uh, Mercedes is the uh, Hamilton uh, documentary that uh, you know is going to debut on Apple TV. And he says it'll inspire kids just like the, uh, the, the Senna documentary. And this is going to be a story about his life and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, he's really hoping that's uh, what it's uh, going to be around. It's going to be um, so he's hoping that the final production of his, uh, you know, his uh, documentary, uh, which, uh, you know, will um, basically match the 52 minute documentary racing is in my blood that was uh you know way back in 1992 that's all about uh, Ayrton Senna and um, you know that he was a huge influence on uh, Lewis Hamilton and uh, you know his role model anyways uh, Hamilton had to say about the production of uh, his documentary as follows quote my docu- documentary along with Apple it feels different it feels strange having a camera following you around it's about my life it's about my career the journey to where I am with the the hope of really doing what Ayrton Senna's documentary did for me as a kid. So something new and fresh, maybe. Hopefully this will be able to do that for the next young kid that's watching, coming home from school and dreaming of something. Hopefully they'll be able to watch this and be inspired to do something great themselves, end quote. So looking forward to seeing this drop. Any idea when this is going to be available, Mark? It sounds like it's still in production and filming. I know, I, I think we talked about this uh, before, but, um, you know, there, there seems to be such a 
you know, so much Formula One content around these days on a variety of platforms is almost uh, difficult, which is a nice thing to, you know, a nice problem to have. But sometimes uh, I get confused uh, as to, you know, which thing is dropping next. But uh, we can uh, figure that out uh, in a little bit. Uh, I'm going to move along to the next story if you're going to look that up. So sold out spa, Francochamp doubles down on 2022 success amid future talks. This uh, comes to us from uh, Philippa Clearin over at uh, motorsport.com. So uh, the the byline here is Groundlog Day looms on Belgian Grand Prix's future. The organizers are sticking to their guns for 2023 after a much improved Formula One fan experience last year. And that was a much, much better weekend that we had last year compared to 2021 when they had uh, torrential rain and they did those couple of uh, laps behind the safety car just to say that they ran a... uh, a, a, a Grand Prix, they awarded some points and then were immediately raked over the coals by angry people from all four corners of the globe and angry media and angry guys in their basement who do a Formula One podcast. Oh, wait, that's us and all that stuff. But um, they're back onto the calendar. And we were talking about last week because there was, uh, you know, there was talk that maybe South Africa was going to come back at the expense of Spa. But, you know, Mark, th- this feels like almost like a perpetual you know discussion or story and i think that philip is very correct in using the term groundhog day because it very much seems like spa's future on the formula one calendar seems to be one of those annual discussions well this is going to be you know spa this year but they're not on the calendar for next year or the year after or whatever it is so who knows ultimately where this uh, th- th- this goes maybe you can tell me because i sure I don't wish, know where it's going my friend i wish i knew and i think the unfortunate <laughs> thing about this is spa is one of the one of the few universally loved races on the calendar that s- some of the tracks attract criticism and and dislike and and some of them harbor mixed opinions but i think Generally, people love Spa and the type of racing that it produces. But in in the current state of F one, and and obviously Liberty are are chasing high value uh, race organizers to add to the calendar. That for whatever reason, Spa hasn't been able to put together a really attractive package to secure a long term deal. And like you say, it's kind of Groundhog Day, which is hey, we go into the year knowing we've got kind of a one race deal, and hopefully we pull out all the stops and impress F1 and we get another deal. Whereas other tracks have these long term deals that they can only lust after. And we, in full credit to the race organizers in Spa, they've spent about $100 million in the last couple of years, massively upgrading the facility. They've added tens of thousands of seats of additional grand stand space. They've modernized uh, the hospitality. They've modernized the paddocks. They've resurfaced the track. They've added all kinds of new um, safety infrastructure. They've done, I think, everything that you could reasonably expect of them, short of maybe ponying up 40 or $50 million a year on a new contract to secure this race. And one of the things that makes Spa maybe a little bit more challenging is just its geography, that unlike so many of the races, which are near a major metropolitan area, can be hit via transit spas a long way out in the middle of nowhere and i think without some significant government support uh, putting together that offer of 30 to 40 to 50 million dollars a year to put this race on the calendar for the next 10 years is going to be difficult and i think we expected to lose it last year in in favor potentially of 
Kiyalami. And this year it was expected to be gone and it got a bit of a retreat, kind of a reprieve. And, and I think that they're going in. And again, this year, the race for 2023, that agreement was signed only on the morning of the 2022 race. But I think we were expecting that this was going to be the swan song despite all the upgrades because Kiyalami was going to come on board. And now the Kiyalami talks are dead. So maybe that's a bit of a reprieve and they can sign some sort of agreement. But I, I would be very, very sad to see this track disappear from the calendar, particularly when it makes for such great racing. It's such a great spectacle. And given the immense amount of investment that's gone into the track over the last couple of years to bring it up to modern F1 standards. Yeah, and it's such a great facility as well, or a great location in the Ardennes. I mean, I, I know it's not glitzy and glamoury, but to me, you need that mix. I mean, as, as cool as it is to place to, to go places like Singapore, Monaco, and Miami, and Vegas, etc. Like to me, this is like one of the, the the quintessential, you know, like classic Formula One tracks that 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 me that to me has to be there, just like uh, Silverstone, just like Monza, and I'll I'll throw Japan and Suzuka in there. Those to me are tracks that 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 just have to be on the on the on the calendar each and every year, and I would be very very disappointed because you know it, it is just it, it's got everything. It's a long lap. It, it's got you know changes in elevation. It's got these long straightaways. It's got these long sweeping corners. It's got corners that 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 drop and rise in elevation. You've got Eau Rouge, which you know if you can take Eau Rouge flat, you never need to. Prove your courage in any other way, you know, in my mind. But uh, ultimately, uh, you know, sadly, Mark, I, I think you're correct. When it comes down to Spa and and what its future holds, will ultimately come down to. I, th- I think it's going to come down to the, the 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 pocketbook, and that would be just for me a sad. You know, it'd, it'd be a sad way to see such a great circuit to disappear from from the calendar. But maybe that uh, that'll be its uh, fate. Um, anyways, uh, we'll, we'll move along. when I can get through these uh, next uh, couple of stories uh, before we go into start previewing the Canadian Grand Prix here. Uh, the next one, um, this is kind of an interesting one. This comes from uh, Engadget. And so uh, Netflix is uh, looking to perhaps live stream a golf tournament featuring F1 drivers and pro golfers, which could be a bit of a mashup of Drive to Survive and Full Swing. Yeah, I guess it's kind of cool. Not exactly the mashup I'd really, you know, asked for or wanted and would necessarily check out. But I guess it's just a war of um, another example of Formula One percolating up into mainstream consciousness. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add on this one. I certainly won't be tuning in myself, but I think this story is probably less about the subject matter of the event itself, but probably more about Netflix starting to get their toes wet when it comes to broadcasting live sports. Obviously, Amazon Prime is doing it. Apple TV is doing it. Even Twitter and Facebook have broadcast live sports. But I think this would be the first meaningful effort. And, and again, it's pretty low risk, right? Nobody's tuning in expecting to see the NBA playoffs or a, a major in the world of PGA golf. But I think it's an opportunity for Netflix to get a, a taste of the effort required to broadcast live sports. Yeah, we'll we'll see whether or not it happens. Oh, just one thing I wanted to to, to mention is last week I talked about Tour de France Unchained, which uh, dropped on Netflix, and I said that it had a very DTS vibe to it, and I wasn't sure if Box to Box Films had uh, been behind that one. And uh, after the we, we did the podcast, I did go check it out. So uh, Tour de France Unchained 
is done by box to box films and uh, you know it does have a very drive to survive uh, vibe uh, to it and uh, i probably watched uh, about two-thirds of it now and uh it, it, it it's pretty cool but it's uh you know there, there's something comforting <laughs> you know when you sit down and watch a program which is very much like another one of your favorite uh, programs and i was kind of wondering i had to have a bit of a chuckle when uh, i thought for you know somewhere there is uh you know there, there's another mark daily and another mark hamilton doing a cycling based podcast having the discussion that you know can you be a cycling fan and also be a fan of tour de france uh, unchained or are you just a cycling fan or an unchained fan so you know i wonder if the, you know I, I should just be quiet but <laughs> that was kind of interesting anyways okay uh quickly um you know there's chances that uh, perhaps uh, we're going to see indycar going uh, international again uh, this year so mark did you want to talk yeah, about this I'll, one, I'll make uh, this really one quickly? super quick so um pretty exciting obviously indy is based entirely in the continental us except for their annual trip to toronto uh, i think in the past indycar has actually also competed in brazil in 2010 to 2013 and they've raced in japan Cart Champ Car has previously raced all over the place, the Netherlands, UK, Mexico, Australia, Germany, Belgium. And of course, at one point, I think they were racing in three locales in Canada simultaneously, Montreal, Edmonton, and Toronto. Um, I think IndyCar is starting to see some pretty explosive growth, um, not, at least, not least because I think F1 is doing so much to promote open wheel racing on a global stage, but there's conversations now about, hey, can IndyCar go to Argentina and can IndyCar go back to Brazil? And both of those locales would work out really well for Indy because they want to stay in time zones that are friendly to the North American audience. But just a cool story that kind of speaks to the growth of IndyCar. We talk so much about the growth of Formula One, but to me, I don't like the fact that almost the entire calendar is confined to the continental United States. I would love to see more international IndyCar races and it looks like that we might see that as soon as 2024. Interesting. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that story. Another story that uh, that I didn't expect to see anything about is apparently that uh, Carlos Sainz has been uh, playing matchmaker and uh, set up uh, Lewis Hamilton and uh, Shakira. So uh, apparently they've been uh, spending more and more time together since she, uh, she split up with the Gerard Piquet, the, uh, the, the famous uh, soccer player. And when I was in Barcelona, I went to go and visit a, a friend of mine and we did a tour around and they, they showed me where Piquet and Shakira were living which actually wasn't too far from from where his place was which was actually kind of neat and i thought uh, you know you've got some very very interesting uh, neighbors okay uh moving along last story before we jump into the race uh, preview here so apparently according to james Vols, the new uh, principal or team principal of williams some of the tech at uh, williams is 20 years out of date so does that mean they're running workstations with like windows 2000 or something mark i'm I think not so. really too sure I, I yeah just, wow that's uh, just a couple of things from this article I, I think i think he's probably been shocked by just how terrible the infrastructure is at that facility in Grove, I think it's far, far worse and far, far older than he expected. But I thought that this was a really interesting quote, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. He says, internally, a lot of the work I've been asking them to do, so this is the Williams F1 team, internally, a lot of the work I've been asking them to do has been likened by them to asking them to do three years of development work in six months. So he's coming in and saying, you need to do this amount of work in six months. And they're like, holy... F, that is three years worth of work. And what he's saying is, 
Yes, but that is the standard. In fact, the standard is higher than that. So he's coming in saying, you need to do this amount of work in six months. They're freaking out and saying that, hey, that's going to take us three years normally. And he's saying, look, six years isn't even good or six months isn't even good enough. Like I'm, I'm cutting you some slack. So I thought it was interesting that his takeaway was both that the infrastructure is terrible, which I think we all knew, but also the mentality and the capability of much of the team there is, is simply underwhelming as well. And I think he's working to, when we talk about rebuilding the culture, I think part of that is rebuilding the expectation of what good looks like when it comes to accomplishing meaningful work. And like, this just blows my mind that he's saying, I need this done in six months. They're like, that'll take us three years. He's like, six months isn't good enough. I want it faster than six months. Just mind blowing, (laughs) mind blowing stuff. Oh man, yeah. That when you read out that quote, Hammy, I was doing the silent scream because <laughs> that is just, <laughs> you know, like it's no secret that that both you and I have a huge soft spot for 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 Williams. This is a, a team that when we were growing up was absolutely crushing it. Some some great drivers have raced for for Williams over the decades, and when I hear something like that, it's just like. Oh man, it, it's no wonder they're 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 miles behind everybody on the track. That if they can't do something in six months, which everybody else is doing in three, exactly, and they're dude, exactly, and man. they're saying that's going to take them three years to do it. No wonder they're they're seconds and seconds off the pace, and there's just like that that gap that is just you know, been there for years just isn't closing because they're just not able to execute like anywhere near to what is like an industry standard across like all the other teams in, in Formula 1. Forget about like chasing teams like Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari. They can't even keep up with like the Alpha Tauris and the Hasses that are, you know, are, you know, and they're not the greatest, fastest teams on the grid as it is, but they're still miles ahead of Williams. That is absolutely just an astonishing revelation from 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 James Vole. So hopefully, you know, he's able to implement something and and drag these uh, you know these people into the 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 twenty first. He century needs money to do it, man. He needs money, and that's it. I don't know that's how much Doralton's offered him so far, but I can't imagine he would have taken this job unless they were basically providing a blank check to over, to overhaul this campus. Why would you leave Mercedes it, dude, for exactly, a challenge? Like, exactly. Like, like, like a Williams, if there was some, there, there wasn't something but behind dude, it. I've said this because- before, like, and, and so I don't mean to interject, but we know that Williams isn't spending to the cost cap, that teams like Williams fought tooth and nail for the implementation of a cost cap. And they're not even spending to the cost cap. Like as much as there's a cost cap that restricts overall spending, I would argue that there should be a cost. There should floor. be a floor. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. hundred percent, hundred percent that. Yeah. Okay. You, you don't want teams like Mercedes and Ferrari spending half a billion dollars or more a year when you, you've got some of the smaller teams that are struggling to, you know, spend a tenth of that. But I mean, still, you got to be able to spend, you know, th- there should be like a window. I totally agree with you, Mark. Okay. Uh, why don't we take one quick final time uh, timeout? We'll come back. We'll preview the uh, Canadian Grand Prix, our home Grand Prix. We get to watch it at a normal time, not at midnight, not at 5 a.m., not at some weird time, actually uh, at a reasonable time, even though it's uh, Eastern, we're Pacific, whatever. I can live with a three-hour time shift. Anyways, we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. 
All right, welcome back. And Mark, it is that time of year. It is the Canadian Grand Prix this weekend. Really excited to, to watch this. I love Montreal as a city. I love this track. I love the Canadian Grand Prix. Obviously, always, uh, you know, always just always love this event, uh, even though it is thousands of miles from where we are right here. Like, even as a kid watching the Canadian Grand Prix, I'm like, well, Formula One comes to where I live, even though, like I say, it's so far away. But, you know, that that aside, you know, I, I've always had, uh, you know, a soft spot of, uh, you know, for Montreal, for the city, for the track. And it was cool last uh, year when I was in Montreal, we, we went over to Ile Notre Dame. The, the track is open. You can actually drive around it. You can jog around it you can ride your bike around it you can rollerblade around it it's uh it's in a very very cool location and it was very cool to be able to take the car around it even though you couldn't go more than 30 kilometers an hour <laughs> really kind of gave you like a a good feel of what it's like uh you know some of the the little there, there's not a lot of change in elevation but uh it's got some little bumps and dips here and there it's got some uh, little challenging twisty corners in the Senna s when you go into turns one and two it's it, it's a cool track really looking forward to this one mark and well i guess the, the the big story of course this weekend is is this the weekend somebody other than a red bull finally wins a race this weekend or this year and i suppose if they don't then we'll be having the same conversation next week and the week after the week after the week after until we finally hit the end of the year but mark i'm really looking forward to talking about this uh this grand prix with you what are some of the things that you're looking forward to or looking for this weekend Wait. Let's start it there. Let's start there. So the forecast as it stands right now is rain Friday with highs of 25, lows of 15. Saturday, rain, highs of 17, lows of 14. And Sunday, highs of 21, lows of 13 and steady rain as well. So you ask that question, you you provoke the conversation around, could this be the weekend that we see somebody other than a Red Bull driver stepping atop the podium? Maybe, possibly, there could be a little bit of chaos here. And while it's not an ultra high speed track, it's a track that can create some chaos because there are sections and there are portions of the track which have fairly tight walls, a wall of champion, for instance, where a small innocent mistake that would be unpunished on some tracks will result in a DNF in the end of your day. A couple of interesting things though, Adam Cooper had a really great article on motorsport.com. And I just want to touch on a couple of things here real quick. One is which, you know, for much of our lives, Montreal was the only F1 stop in all of North America. In fact, from yes. 85 to 88, 92 to 99, and 2008 to 2011, it was the only place in North America that you could see a live Formula One race. And of course, now we have Mexico on the calendar, we have Austin, we have Vegas, and we have Miami. And a lot of people, including myself, were a little bit concerned about the economic viability of this event when it's contending with all of those other races. But Adam surfaces a couple of really good points here. One of which is that the Canadian Grand Prix signed an extension through 2029 with Liberty in 2017. So it was able to sign this long-term deal at a cut, th cut rate price. So they are on the calendar through 2029. Now that 
2029 deal was actually extended two years because they didn't race in Montreal in 20 or 21. So Montreal is actually on the calendar with a really great deal through 2020 or sorry, 2031. So their future is secure, at least for the next eight years, which is pretty cool. A couple of other comments that I thought were interesting from this article is one, more than half of those that are in attendance at the Montreal Formula One Grand Prix are from out of province. They're not from Quebec at all. They're from Toronto. They're from New York. They're from Massachusetts. And of course, Montreal is within driving distance of a couple of major US markets. And Montreal is way closer to New York City than Miami or Austin are. And it's continuing to attract a lot of people from the northeast corner of the United States. So I think if there was a race in Montreal, that might cut into the economic viability of the Montreal Grand Prix. But currently, it's in a good place. Octane Racing, the race organizer, was actually bought by Bell Media. Um, for our non-Canadian listeners, Bell Media is one of a trifecta of major media conglomerates that control every aspect of our lives up here, from our cellular communication, to our TV, to our radio, to our internet. Um, they bought the rights from Octane Racing. Well, I guess they just own Octane Racing now a couple of years ago. They also own TSN, which is effectively Canada's version of ESPN, TSN Broadcast Racing. They also bought RES, which is the French version. Um, so economically, the race seems to be at a pretty good place. A couple of years ago, I think you and I have talked about this in the past as well, um, they did some not insignificant upgrades to the garage complex on the island of Montreal. But this is also a track that you spoke to a couple of minutes ago. One, you can drive around, you can run around, you can cycle around because it's actually in a public park. And like Albert Park in Australia and Melbourne, they effectively shut it down for a few weeks in advance of the race and start building out the racetrack and they tear it all down again. And historically, the city has allowed the track to be used for a motorsports event twice a year. Of course, for the last number of years, it's only been used for the Formula One Grand Prix. But based on that story that you and I talked about last week, there could be a Premier Series NASCAR race coming to Montreal as soon as next year, which would be cool to see a road course on this circuit in Montreal. But overall, it's certainly one that I get excited about. And I think I think if things go Aston Martin's way, and I know Bryson Sullivan had a really great tweet about this earlier today, this is a track with its braking zones and the complex of turns that it contains that could play very well to Aston Martin, that this is a track that's really well suited to that car, to that package and that setup. And of course, as we talked about last week, Fernando Alonso has been talking about the fact that the upgrade package that they're bringing to Montreal, he's expecting is going to quote unquote, crush the competition. So it could be, should be a pretty exciting weekend, adding in a layer of uh, uncertainty associated with the rain will just make it that much more exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we, was it last year that we had the really wet qualifying as well? So it's it's not unheard of to have like a, a wet race or wet conditions in, in Montreal. <laughs> you know, I was just uh, thinking too because of when I was there it was in August, and it was it was an interesting day because like um, by the time we got to the track, it was cloudy, but it was a really hot, muggy day. And then when we got to the track, it kind of clouded over, was a little bit cooler, and we did stop there for you know obligatory uh, selfie at. The, at the at the wall of champions but yeah that's really interesting that uh, perhaps that this could play into the hands for 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 Aston Martin like i mean fernando was really talking you know saying some pretty big things last week about you know crushing the competition so you know i i don't really know what to make of that i mean i'd always 
kind of like the, the first reaction I had to that was, is this Fernando being Fernando? Because this year, Fernando hasn't really been Fernando. He's been very, you know, different to the Fernando that we've seen in the past. But that that comment kind of uh, made me wonder, is the old Fernando coming Daily, back or not? Because He's not the only one from Aston. So I just pulled up a story here from ESPN.com. He's not the only okay. one from Aston Martin that's very confident about what this weekend contains for them. So Lance, sorry, Lance Stroll, Lawrence Stroll at a Aston Martin flagship media event in New York City was asked about whether Lance could be the first Canadian driver on a podium in Montreal since Jacques Villeneuve was in 1996. And he was quoted as saying, those are exactly the plan. Hopefully we get two cars on the podium. I'm extremely confident. I believe the car will be very strong around the Montreal circuit. It suits our car well. So I'm really looking forward to going home and really looking forward to a great race. So it's not just Fernando Alonso that's confident that they're going to be able to deliver in a big way. Lawrence Stroll is effectively predicting that there will be two Aston Martins on the podium in Montreal, including, of course, Lance Stroll being the first Canadian to podium at home since Jacques Villeneuve did back in 1996. The year before, he that would have been yeah. his rookie season, the year before he won the, the World Championship. Yeah, 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 it would have been. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm still trying to digest the comments from from Lawrence and uh, and Fernando that uh, they're expecting big things, but it would be cool, right? Because uh, w- w- in a season that is uh, you know largely and you know completely been dominated by by Red Bull, that it would be great to to see somebody else, uh, you know, obviously get a couple of cars on the podium and hopefully uh, get to somebody else on the top step uh, other than uh, than a, than a Red Bull. Okay, uh, let's just uh, talk about uh, the track itself. So first time we had a Canadian Grand Prix was way back in 1961. It's bounced years, around to a couple. years ago. Well, since they were at Montreal. So, I mean, there's been 57 Canadian Grand Prix at, uh, you know, in total it's been at, uh, it's been at Mo Sport. It's uh, been at uh, Mont-Tremblant. And then it's been, yeah, it's been at, uh, you know, uh, at uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve since uh, 1978. I mean, there was a couple that of times. That would be 45. When okay, it I, was, I was kind of right. Yeah, so that would be 45. 45th anniversary yeah, of the yeah. first race in Montreal. That's that's correct. And out of all those races, uh, Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher have had the most wins. They both have seven. Ferrari has the most wins as a constructor. They have 14. So the circuit is uh, currently uh, 4.36 kilometers or 2.71 miles. It is a total race length of uh, 305.27 kilometers or 189.69 miles. Total of uh, 70 laps that will be run. So last year we had uh, Max Verstappen on pole. We had had uh, a podium of Max, Carlos Sainz, and Lewis Hamilton. And the fastest lap of the race was uh, set by Carlos Sainz, and that was a 115.749. And uh, that is... um well, I got to take a look at that. I'm not sure what year that uh, that uh, fastest lap was set in because Max's pole time last year was a 121.299. So I have to take a look and see when that uh, that lap record. Well, the lap record actually was uh, set by uh, Valtteri Bottas. It was a 113.078, and that was set in 2019. Oh, the pole time, of course, would be slower because it was uh, wet qualifying. So that 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 makes sense. Why it would have been slower than the fastest uh, lap of the race. So the uh, tire compounds that Pirelli are bringing this. Uh, weekend are the softest in their their range. It's the C3 hard, C4 mediums, and the C5 softs. 
So, Mark, yeah, interesting. Uh, are, are we going to dare predict a, a podium, or is it uh, just too unpredictable if the, uh, the 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 rain comes out? Because the one thing we have to remember as well is not only does uh, Red Bull have the best driver, the best car with the best uh, power unit, their driver, who's also the reigning double world champion, it is also pretty good <laughs> in, in, in the rain as well. So, you know, as, as much as I'd like to say, oh, yeah, if, if rains, it uh, really could, uh, you know, you know be chaotic it could change things up which of course it will but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to fall uh you know it, it it's not going to be favorable for max because you know we, we've seen him do some pretty awesome and amazing things in a formula one car during wet races so i don't don't necessarily think that will be the thing that uh that uh you know prevents max from winning unless it's a situation like we saw at the end of the russian grand prix a couple of years ago when it started raining right at the very end and they just caused pandemonium as uh, you know drivers are trying to go in put on wets put on inters and all those sorts of things that i could see but i mean if it's just a full-on wet race right from the time that the lights turn green right to the checkered flag then yeah, I, I I don't know. Do you disagree with me no, on that? No, I or? don't. But as you're talking about wet races in Montreal, it, it occurred to me that uh, if you have F1 TV Pro, there's two legendary races from Montreal, one of which was wet. I think you and I have talked about it so many times below, but Jensen Button coming from P21 to win the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix, two years removed from his championship season from Braun. A phenomenal race, a phenomenal story. And of course, 2007, which was uh, Lewis Hamilton's rookie season, he won the Canadian Grand Prix, which is remarkable. Think about that. I think we take for granted just how exceptional Lewis's rookie season was. One point away from the championship. And now we talk about, hey, rookies getting into the points at all is possibly a good finish. But check out 2007, check out 2011. Both those races are available on F1 TV Pro. Definitely worth checking out. And they'll definitely get you excited for this weekend. But yeah, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. And I think as much as we talk about the unpredictability that comes with a wet weather race, safety cars, virtual safety cars, red flag stoppages, etc. Ultimately, Max Verstappen is the best driver on the grid. You could also argue that he's the best driver on the grid in wet weather as well, simply because he has so much car control and he just doesn't make mistakes. And there's some other great ones like Lewis Hamilton, things like that. But wet races do create a degree of unpredictability and they do create surprises, especially when there's a sequence of safety cars and there's suddenly a whole bunch of unexpected pit stop strategy and tire changes and all those different kinds of things. So again, there's an opportunity for there to be a surprise outcome this weekend. I'm not going to be brave enough to put that put my money to that. I think ultimately Max Verstappen is going to win a deserved Grand Prix. I think the storylines that I'm going to be looking for are really three of them is can Sergio Perez recover after a couple of really bad Grand Prix? I think he was hoping to recover in Spain from a really bad Monaco Grand Prix. That didn't really happen. I don't think he finished where he wanted to finish. It'll be interesting, like you and I talked about a couple of minutes ago, to see how their, the Mercedes upgrades work in a track like this and whether they can have a repeat performance of a podium finish. Of course, they have three on the season now. Of course, two of those came from the Spanish Grand Prix. It'll be interesting to see how Aston Martin back 
bounces back. They obviously had a poor Spanish Grand Prix. I know Lawrence Stroll talked a lot about the fact that their upgrades and their cars should respond really well to this track. And then I think Alpine as well, that you and I, me especially, had very much written Alpine off earlier this season. Uh, coincidentally, since Laura Rossi had his uh, vent session on Canal Plus on French TV back during the Miami Grand Prix weekend, they've they've performed better. But I think that's more just a coincidence than it is the team responding to some conflict or some comments from the Alpine Group CEO. But yeah, I'm not brave enough to make a prediction other than the fact that I would expect that Max Verstappen will be standing atop the podium unless something crazy happens on on the Grand Prix race weekend on Sunday. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. But, um, you know, even though I'm going to drag this in a bit of a different uh, direction, I just want to very quickly, um, you know, and you brought up uh, Jensen's win back in 2011. And, you know, as far as world champions go, and, and not even necessarily world champions, I, I feel that 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 when it comes to Jensen, there really aren't too many, at least in my mind, there aren't too many races that really stand out. Like, I mean, you can probably pick like any number of like really good races that Lewis has had, Max has had and others. But I feel that even though Jensen had a very good career, he obviously won a world championship, won a lot of Grand Prix during his time. I I don't feel like that that there's so many examples for him, but maybe that's uh, that that that's just me anyhow you know you can agree to disagree or agree to agree you know depending on uh, your point of view but uh, mark i think that's about all the time that we have uh, tonight uh, i know this is the time that you usually have a little favor to ask of everyone so i'll let you do your thing as i start to unplug different things and turn off the lights and you know send you on your send way us on, on send us way. on our way as always if you enjoy what we yep. do here and you listen on spotify if you could do us a big favor give us a rating it means the world to both of us. And of course, if you listen on an Apple device, an iPhone, an iPad, your computer, your Apple watch, if you could give us a rating and a review within the app, we would both appreciate it. And a big shout out to everybody that has given us a rating, has given us a review. We have over 400 ratings now in Spotify, which is fantastic and indexes really well against some of the bigger shows out there. Um, And of course, like I said, if you could do that for us, it means the world to both of us. And then finally, again, if you haven't made plans for Saturday, November 18th, try to be in Vancouver. You get the opportunity to hang out with Mr. Daly and myself. I I don't know if that's going to help or scare people <laughs> off. But <laughs> I, I love the enthusiasm. Anyways, uh, thank you all uh, for, for listening tonight. Uh, if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooteryF1Pod or send us an email, uh, ScooteryF1Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so very much for listening. Mark and I will be back on Sunday night to, to recap the race. Until then, enjoy this weekend of Formula One racing from Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in beautiful Montreal in the province, the beautiful province of uh, Quebec. And that is it for for now, take care. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.